Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, wasn't this such an incredible morning of celebrating these life change stories with your baptism? Give the Lord a hand. Praise God for that. Uh, we're just, that is just one of the most fun things we get to see around here is how God is changing people's lives. And that was no exception. An incredible morning. Uh, today we're going to continue a series that we started last week entitled, What If Jesus Was Serious? And today we're going to dive into this longest and most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Really, it kind of set the tone for the entire rest of his ministry. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, and it stretches over three chapters. And it was really what some theologians, historians would say is his kingdom manifesto. It was Jesus not just talking about the kingdom. He was unveiling what the kingdom was all about. What was its motive? What was its intended purpose? What would it do for us? What did it look like for someone to be a citizen of the kingdom? It was a powerful, and still is for us today, a powerful sermon of what it means to belong to God's family, to his kingdom. And it was a theme throughout his entire ministry, him preaching on the kingdom. And we talked about this last week that throughout this sermon, Jesus was serious about people following what he was teaching. It wasn't just suggestions. As a matter of fact, we talked about last week that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot expect anyone else to take Jesus seriously unless you're willing to go first. You're willing to say, I'm willing to take him seriously, like more serious than anybody or anything in my life. As a matter of fact, you can't expect anybody to even take your faith seriously until you take Jesus seriously. And we talked about the fact that this is probably one of the greatest underlying issues facing the church or the church big C body of Christ globally and in our nation is this idea that People, by and large, and this is poll after poll and national survey after survey of people outside the church saying, listen, if people were a little bit more like Jesus who say they follow him, I would be a lot more interested. And it's one of those things that we just have to take a step back and say, have I taken this seriously? And that's what this sermon series is all about as we follow this great, powerful sermon of Jesus. And in this first sermon series that we're doing right now, we're just going to kick off the first set of statements that Jesus makes here. Okay, and so I want to give you a little context for the sermon before we dive into chapter 5. I want us to rewind the tape a little bit back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 opens with Jesus spending 40 days fasting, and then after the 40 days, he is tempted by the devil himself three different times. And after that, we're told that he finds out about his cousin, John, John John the Baptist or baptizer, he gets arrested for his faith. Now, independent of that event, Jesus decides to move to the city of Capernaum, which is this fishing village up on the northwest corner of the city of Sea of Galilee. And it's in that little village that he meets his first four disciples. 
Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and John and his brother James. And, and as, as far as we know as, in terms of the recorded um, um, history of the Gospel of Matthew at this point, those are the only four disciples we know that he has at this time. But we're also told that now he begins to go and preach throughout the Galilean area. Um, and, and here's what he preached. Chapter 4, verse 17 Here's what he preached. He preached from that time on, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Or some translations say has, is at hand. It is here. It is now. It's right here. Now for those of you who um, are curious about this kingdom of heaven, I wish he would unpack that a little bit more. I did an entire series for four weeks before at the movies on this, and I encourage you to go back and check it out. If you haven't, if you haven't heard that or, or need to brush up on that a little bit, I've already done that. So I'm going to give you, suffice it to say, a quick definition that the kingdom of heaven is the range of God's effective will. I love how Dr. Dallas Willard put it. He said, it is where what God wants done is done. It's where people are willing to surrender and submit to God's will over my will. When that happens, his kingdom goes forth in our lives and in our world consequently. And when groups of people do that, that is when really powerful things begin to happen. And this is what happened with Jesus. He began to preach this and people started gathering to him. And we're told that throughout the Galilean area, Jesus had people coming to him and he started healing them. He healed them of every disease. He healed them of, of, of all kinds of uh, paralytic diseases and all kinds of other diseases. He even healed those who were uh, demon-possessed which you can imagine, I mean, like people came out of the woodworks bringing their friends and family members like, hey, here's Uncle Joe. He's definitely demon-possessed because you do something about him, Jesus. You probably have somebody in your family you'd like to have brought to Jesus if he was here, right? And, he, they, and they did, and they started to follow him, first by the hundreds and then by the thousands, people started gathering to Jesus like curious and this was before social media. I mean, word was traveling fast. Could you imagine if you saw that popping up on social media? Like, wow, Jesus of Nazareth, he's healing everybody. Come on down, check this out. He's coming to your town. Wouldn't you be curious to come hear what he had to say, what he was going to do next? See the demonstration of God's power? And that many historians, theologians believe that's kind of what Jesus was doing. He was doing kind of a show and tell. He was showing the power of God, and then he was getting ready to tell them, how do you enter this kingdom? Who is it for and who is it not for? How do you access it and how do you live in it? What does that look like for, for a day-in, day-out kind of scenario? And this is what Jesus began to do. And this was hotly debated in their time uh, and, and what was interesting, this idea of the kingdom of God and who gets in and who doesn't get in. And Jesus comes along and he starts healing and interacting with a large group of people that by and large would have not been invited to church. They would not have been invited into the synagogue, into the temple in Jerusalem. And here he is having services out of doors, outdoors, and he is starting to preach. Now, we're, before we dive into the sermon, let me just tell you what he starts his sermon with. Jesus begins by unpacking and preaching a topic that every great thinker, philosopher, leader before him and after him has gone after and tried to tackle. And that is this, that 
what, the, the, the question, what is the good life? What is the good life? In other words, what is actually in your best interest to live your life every day? What is the optimal, highest way that a human being can live? That has been one of the biggest questions that have been tackled by some of the greatest thinkers who had ever lived. Like what, and still to this day, whether you have thought about it that specifically or not, you have a picture in your mind of what the good life would look like. When you see it in media, when you see it on TV, when you see it in the movie, when you see it, wherever you see it, you go, oh, that's it. That's it. I, yeah. If I could just be like that guy, that girl, if I could have that life, whew, that would be it, right? And, and the question is, who's got it and who doesn't have it? This is part of what Jesus is going to talk about because that was debated back then. It's still debated today. What does the good life actually look like? To put it another way, who is really blessed? Who is actually, what we might say today, who is hashtag blessed, right? People post stuff all the time, hashtag blessed. Whether it's a new Lamborghini or a vacation spot or whatever. Hey, people all the time talk about how they're blessed. Jesus weighed in on this topic. Do you, how do you know what is really blessing and what is not blessing and who is blessed and who is not blessed? So here's how Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 1 through 3. Take a look at it together. Now then, now when Jesus saw the crowds, these are the large crowds following him, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. And he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for, let's say that this highlighted word here, there's is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven isn't someday, it is right now. Right now. It is available right now. And I want us to start with this first word here, because this is the word he's going to repeat eight times throughout what has come to be called the Beatitudes. This is Jesus explaining who is blessed. This word blessed here could be translated happy, or profound joy. It is the deep down satisfying soul level experience as a human, human being. Now, this is still a very hotly discussed and researched topic of our day. I'm told that even at Harvard, that is still the number one course people want to take is the one on happiness. What is all the research that we have as a human race tell us that really adds up to human happiness? And that's what this course is all about. Well, here's what we know for sure conclusively what does not equal happiness. If you really want to be happy, what you will stay away from is social media. Okay, and I'm not the first one to tell you that. I'm sure you have heard that, read that many places. There's been many books written and articles written about that, but it doesn't change our habits very much as a society. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna share an article, part of an article with you right now, and you may look at it and say, hmm, that's interesting, and you'll go right on, uh, you know, on social media the rest of the day, but I wanna share it with you anyway. 
Markham Hyde, writer for Time Magazine, recently wrote this. He says, a recent study from the University of California found the more you use Facebook, and you can replace Facebook there with whatever platform you prefer, okay, over time, the more likely you are to experience negative physical health, negative mental health, and negative life satisfaction, period. This is just something we know about human behavior. He goes on to write, psychologist Jean Twinge says, and she's talking about social media, she says, it's especially harmful to young people who look at the so-called highlight reels people post on social and compare themselves so they feel depressed or negative emotions as a result. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves, I mean, we would be amiss if we didn't. Why is this approach to happiness not working? Why is this approach of, to happiness so broken? All right? And the short answer to this is, and we know this very clearly, because the highlight reels that the vast majority of people post do not reflect reality. We know this, right? I'm not tell, again, I'm not, none of this is so far is probably news to you. You've heard this before. And when we go into that comparison mode, and that's what social media by and large is, it is a comparison machine. That's what it's built to do. That's why it keeps you coming back over and over and over and over and over, and it's highly successful. But when, when, when we participate in it, what is happening is that we are comparing the non-glamorous reality of our life with the fake glamour of someone else's life. Let me say it again. We're comparing with the fake glamour of someone else's life. And therein lies a recipe for disaster, psychologically, emotionally, health, uh, physically, for a human being. It begins to cause us to despair and to get depressed. It creates anxiety. It causes all kinds of undue stress on a human being. It causes people many times to downward spiral in life and get scared to want to even go into public. It messes with our minds many times. But what's interesting here is that this human instinct to project a positive but false self-image, it's not new. As we go all the way back to the time of Jesus, the ancient Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in, that he was teaching in, that he lived in, it was inundated with, it was, it was cursed with, this, this plagued with, this belief that if you are really hashtag blessed by God, you are wealthy, you're healthy, you are educated, you are powerful, you have influence, you have all of these things that everybody wants. The logic was simple. If you look good, you are good, and God is blessing you. And if you look bad, that means you are are bad, and God is cursing you because of your sin. You see, back then, this is, I'm showing this to you because there's such a powerful parallel to our day today. Back then, the culture and the, their mindset was very much like our modern social media. The desire to be perceived as hashtag blessed by God led many people of Jesus' day to project a positive but false public image of who they really were. 
where the truth about their life was less important, please hear this, that the truth about their life was less important than what people perceived as true, that perception become greater than reality. As long as we can keep appearances up, then we're good. And if we're not careful, we fall into that. And research shows us that as a nation, we have fallen into that. And as a church, as followers of Jesus, we have fallen into that. And if Jesus is serious, we've got to take a step back from that. Because Jesus did not play this game. He challenges it to the core of our soul. Stop playing the perception game. Stop trying to just keep images up and appearances up without actually doing the hard work of what's actually going on inside of you, in your own heart. This is so important because many of us, get, we feel that downward spiral because when we start comparing our life, we're like, wow, compared to their vacation this summer, ours stinks, man, you know? Compared to their family, man, I don't even want to put a picture of our family. Like, I thought I looked okay in my swimsuit till I saw them. I'm not going to post anymore. I shouldn't probably even go in public with my swimsuit anymore. Like, that's so embarrassing. Like, wait, there's so, the comparison game, it starts downward spiraling us. And Jesus is going to give us eight of these things, the eight of these beatitudes, and throughout this list of who is blessed, it's going to challenge us in at least two ways. And I want to share with you these things. In other words, if we're really taking Jesus serious, if Jesus was serious, then no one is beyond God's blessing. No one is beyond God's blessing. And that whoever, whoever that society says they're cursed, they're worthless, they're disgusting, who disgusts you, okay? This would be a really good question. This will help hone you in on it real fast. Who is it you can't hardly stand to be around? They disgust you. You need to know God's grace is extended to that person, his care and his love, that God offers dignity to that person. That doesn't mean all those people will receive it, but that is what he offers so no one is beyond God's blessing. Here's the next thing. If God, uh, pardon me, if Jesus was serious, Jesus obliterates our tendency to judge people by their circumstances. If Jesus was really serious, then we, we will stop doing that. We'll stop saying, well, you know why they're poor, because they deserve to be poor. Because they, did, they, they just made so many poor decisions, that's what got them there, Right? And that might be true for some, but not for all. Jesus was really clear about this. And, it, and the opposite is also true. Not everybody who seems to be wealthy and have it together and have all the stuff you wish you had is there because they're blessed by God. There may be an inner turmoil and torment that they live with every day you know nothing about. And it is not a blessing. It is an albatross around their neck. So, who is really blessed by God? Over and over, 
is not determined by their appearance, their circumstances, or social media highlight reel. This is the big point that Jesus is making here. And I want to just even say that not only should we judge, we not to judge other people by their circumstances, but even ourselves at times where we say, well, God must be getting back at me. He must be really letting me have, I'm, re, I'm incurring the wrath of God right now because life is so hard. Let me just tell you, life is just hard. And it doesn't mean that you're not hashtag blessed. It just may mean the thing that you're comparing your life to other people and you're not keeping up with them, which is not the standard that he wanted you to follow anyway. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I want us to camp out for a moment on this idea of poor in spirit. What does that actually mean? To put it in today's language, to make it as clear as possible, it means to be a spiritual zero. It means to be spiritually bankrupt. It means to be a spiritual beggar. A person that they don't know much about the Bible. They almost know nothing about the Bible. And they can't make heads or tails of religion or Christianity or anything else. In other words, if you're poor in spirit, like if gut level honest, you're being really honest, you would say, I have, spiritually speaking, very little to nothing to offer anybody. And Jesus knew that this condition of the soul of a human being is completely detached from their success and wealth as a person or their poverty and difficulty that they're facing as a human being. And Jesus wanted them to see that being poor in spirit was something that, I mean, the vast majority of people who were listening to Jesus' sermon were not followers of Jesus. They were not Christians. They were curious and maybe would someday become so, but all we know was there were four disciples and they only just recently signed up and they didn't even know what they had fully signed up to do. They'd only been following Jesus for a couple of weeks now and they're finding out like in real time with everybody else, oh, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus knew these were a bunch of newbies. They didn't know anything and he's saying, this right off the bat because he knew that most people, if they were honest, were poor in spirit. Most of the people who were listening, that were gathered, that were part of the crowd. And I would say, some of you here, if you were gut level honest, you would say, well, honestly, if I'm really honest, between me and God, like, I feel like I'm poor in spirit. I don't really feel like I have a whole lot to offer. Jesus was not sharing this as a condition to aspire for. This isn't something like we should shoot for. He's just saying, this is just where most people find themselves. And I want to help you to grow beyond that. But I want you to know that the kingdom of heaven is available to you if you're in this category. You see, Jesus was the kind of incredible God in the flesh that offered blessing to people who no one had ever blessed before, ever in the history of the world. No one had ever included these kinds of people into the inner circle with God. Not even once. And what's interesting is we see this come out many times in the interaction that Jesus has with other people. He, he um, has this incredible encounter, this conversation with this young, rich 
powerful guy who anybody, if he was alive today and he had a social media account, you would look at that and say, that boy is hashtag blessed, okay? He's got money, good looks, he's powerful, he's probably well-educated, and he's going to be able to do probably whatever he wants to do throughout his life. And this rich young ruler, as he's called in Mark chapter 10, he comes to Jesus in verse 17, and he actually starts the conversation with a really good question. He comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he and Jesus have this discussion about what would that entail? And Jesus asks him, hey, are you familiar with the commands? And he says, yes, Jesus. Since I was a little boy, I've been trying to keep all the commands. I've been very religious. But Jesus could see into his soul. He saw something that maybe other people didn't see. That yeah, though he was very religious and he checked off a lot of religious box, like I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, God. He saw deep down that his trust, his reliance, his faith was not in his God, it was in his money. It was in his resources and his stuff. And he put his faith in that so much that Jesus wanted to address that issue. And, and Jesus knew because this one issue it is holding you in a prison cell of spiritual poverty right now. And Jesus looks at him, and, and I love this because he looks at him and he doesn't judge him in the sense of saying, you filthy, you know, rich, greedy, spoiled brat. No. I mean, a lot of us might want to say that to a person like this, but no. He looks at him and loved him. His heart was filled with compassion for this young kid because he was in spiritual poverty. And he says to him, one thing you, let's say this together, one thing you lack. Here's the one thing that you lack. The one thing that I want you to go back. I love that Jesus didn't say, man, you need to do 10 things, right? He didn't even say three things. He said, here's the one thing that is keeping you from beginning to grow and to come into my kingdom. Here's what I want you to do. And it's, it's a step of freedom from the thing that had him spiritually incarcerated. He says, go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, let's say it together, then come and follow me. Over and over, Jesus is like, come, and I want, you to, I want to show you, I want to teach you how to do what I do. I want you to te teach you how to teach what I teach. I want you to learn the rhythms of my grace. And later Jesus calls this the easy yoke. I want you to learn how to live like me. And when you do, your light will shine before people. They will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. There will be an obvious difference about your life, but it comes from you following me. But for you to follow me, you've got to detach from the thing in this world that has captivated your heart and your soul. It, 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 you, you may never say it this way, but it is an idol. It is something that you bow down to. You give your time and your energy and your effort to. It is the thing your mind goes back to way more than God. Let's be honest. Way more than God. Your success, your money, what other people think, how you're being perceived on social media, how many likes and followers and how many this and that. And what is that for you? Because Jesus really challenged him. 
And I want you to see this was specifically for this young man. This was not a universal application. All people should go back, sell everything they have, give it to the poor, and come follow Jesus. No. As a matter of fact, Jesus, we, we, never again do we see him give this exact same challenge. It was because this man was being held captive, poverty of spirit, because of what he had. And he went on to say this. At this, at this the man's face fell. This was his response to Jesus. Like, oh, I just don't think I can do this. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Notice, he doesn't say it's impossible. Rich people have to come the same way everybody else does, with God's help with the mercy and salvation that God offers through his son Jesus. It's just that when you're rich and you're powerful and you're used to fixing everything with your resources all the time, you start to think, you may never say it this way, you are kind of your own Messiah. You're your own God, your own, your own functional savior. I got this, I'll fix it. And he's saying that's not how you get in the kingdom. Spiritual poverty is something you have to come to realize. And he says, this, this money and this wealth and this, and we don't even realize it in this country, but we are way wealthier than any other country in the world. And compared to other, any other person in the world, we're, we're, we're very much in that category. But he, and he's saying here that the wealth of the rich are not a help, there, it's not a help, it's a hindrance coming into the kingdom. And nor is he saying being poverty stricken in a, uh, you know, economic sense is a help. It does not give you leverage to be getting saved or into the kingdom easier. <laughs> that also every person has to come the same way. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God because they have to unlearn this approach to life that I will fix it with my money or I will call somebody and I'll get, it, I'll get it all worked out the way I want it. He goes on to say, but the disciples, or the disciples say, the disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, who then can be saved? The disciples were amazed because this contradicted their cultural value system that said, no, the rich and good-looking, the well-educated, the ones that seem like they have it all together, they're the ones who are blessed. And Jesus says, no, they are not. Not necessarily. Just like when you see somebody who may not have as much, that they're not blessed. That is not how it works. And I, it's interesting how they come back and says, they ask the question, then who then can be saved? They're still coming at God with this, we, we have to sort of earn it a little bit. We gotta show God we're worth it. We got to show God that we're, we're, we're meritorious in our behavior. Look, God, I got something to offer. This is great. Look what I've done. And Jesus is like, that is not how grace works. It comes, you have to come saying, God, I got nothing to offer you. But Jesus says, once you come to that place, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Isn't that interesting? That paradigm shift had to happen, but it blew their mind. Who then can be saved? And even that first question that the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like he's thinking, give me something to do. I gotta go out and perform. I've gotta go out and do something. We still think that sometimes. I gotta be good enough. 
I've got to earn this. I've got to show God I'm worth it. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus didn't come to save religious people or good people. He came to offer heaven to forgiven people who were willing to receive God's forgiveness. And he says, when you come with this idea that somehow I'm going to earn it, he says, with man, this is impossible. You can't get here from there. But with God, when you start with him, and it's all up to him, I am incapable myself. I am unable to do this myself. But God, all things are possible with God. My trust is in you, Father in heaven, not in will, not in my ability to perform at all. You see, Jesus when we take him serious, if he's serious, and he is serious, he opens the, hev- the gates of heaven up to any person who is willing to put their reliance upon Christ alone for their entrance into heaven. And I want to share this with you. If Jesus is serious, he opens his kingdom to the ones that seem most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing, If Jesus is serious, no human condition excludes blessedness from anyone. If Jesus is serious, God even helps those who cannot or will not help themselves. He shows us this over and over throughout the gospel. This is who Jesus healed. This is who Jesus invited and adopted into his kingdom, and he still does. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel of the Beatitudes that Jesus over and over is saying listen you don't earn this you can't get here by trying to think you're good enough you as a matter of fact have to start by answering the question that he asked the rich young ruler rich young ruler not loser Um, well I guess he was kind of a loser in the end but anyway the question is what one thing do you lack Maybe there's something in your life right now that God over and over, maybe this isn't the first time that you've felt the prompting of God's spirit. This is the thing that's holding you back. This is the thing that is keeping you in spiritual poverty. I have so much more for you, but you've got to trust me. And you have to be willing to say, God, I, am, I need your help. And I cannot get there without your help. And I throw myself on your mercy today. Would you be willing to do that? To simply say, Jesus, I bring my spiritual poverty to you today. Thank you for welcoming me into your kingdom. Anyway, anyway. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.